0: On last week's show, we had Josh Wingrove from Bloomberg, and uh, he pointed out that if the government is going to, you know, end its honeymoon, it was going to be over energy projects because, in his view, the liberal government has, in some ways, overpromised in that they can't make environmentalists and First Nations groups happy at the same time that they're trying to make, you know, those who are
1: really pro-pipeline happy, because at some point, you know, they're going to clash. The same day our show aired, the government made an interesting decision, and I really wanted to get into that.
0: The government decided to go ahead with the LNG project, which is liquefied natural gas in BC, and although it's not a certainty yet, you know, Patronus, which is the company that has the majority stake in the LNG project, still has to go ahead and approve it, but the project itself still has to meet 190 conditions in order Order to go forward.
1: Yeah, and as the project goes forward, I'm sure we'll get into all the 190 conditions, but I'm really interested to know how indigenous groups are responding to this. So, some indigenous groups are fighting back and they're saying that, you know, because it's on their land, it has environmental repercussions, it's going to hurt their ability to live healthily on that land. But other Indigenous groups are actually backing the project. So I wanted to hear more about that conversation and to really understand projects like this, what impact they have on Indigenous people.
0: Yeah, I spoke to people on both sides of the issue, uh, First Nations groups that were in favor of it, as well as those who were against. And then I spoke to a political science professor who specializes in environmental policy to get more of the details of the project itself and the actual impact it would have on the environment.
1: Thank you, I'm Supriya Deveti. And from Canada Land, this is Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is brought to you by BarkBox.com.
0: Every month, BarkBox picks the best all natural treats and innovative toys to match your dog's unique needs, whether it has allergies, is a heavy chewer, or just your average pup. Jane Letvenenko, news editor at Canada Land, uses BarkBox for her dog, Naya. Jane, tell us a little bit about it.
1: Every month when we would get the Bark Box, she would get so excited and jump up and down. And she'll know that it's for her because she can smell all the treats and the toys. And she would, like, rip open the box and it would be a huge mess. And she would just jump everywhere on the bed. And now she's fat and, uh, you know, that's okay. At least she's happy.
0: The best part about Bark Box is that if you don't like something in the box, Bark Box will send something new that they love for free because they care about the happiness of your dog. When you sign up for BarkBox, you get an extra box free by using our offer code. Go to getbarkbox.com slash commons. Again, that's getbarkbox.com slash commons to receive an extra month of BarkBox for free. George Hoberg is a political scientist who specializes in environmental and natural resource policy at UBC's Liu Institute for Global Issues. I spoke to him to get some details about the project. I keep reading and hearing from people that liquefied natural gas is much cleaner. It's cleaner. It's cleaner. It's clean, clean, clean. How clean exactly is it?
2: Uh, it's not clean at all. In order to get it out of the ground in northern British Columbia, you need to use fracking, which is an enormously controversial technology and, and process in other jurisdictions. It involves a lot of water use, potential contamination of water, a lot of disruption of land. People say it's clean because it's less carbon-intensive than coal and oil.
0: So it's just essentially the lesser of two evils.
2: Yes. So it's still a fossil fuel, and it still produces greenhouse gas emissions, but it produces about a third of the greenhouse gas emissions per unit of energy that coal does. The trick, though is getting natural gas out of the ground also leaks methane, which is another greenhouse gas, a quite a potent one, actually. And some people are concerned that we're underestimating methane increases, and that when you include that, it's actually not any cleaner than coal. I think it probably is a bit cleaner, but it's still a fossil fuel, and in the long term, over the next 30 or 50 years, we're going to get off fossil fuels altogether.
0: I read somewhere that this project is expected to unleash something like 5 million tons of carbon dioxide annually, and that's not even taking into consideration the transportation that would be involved. So what is this exactly going to do to the environment, and what is this going to do to targets that have been set by this government?
2: What the government actually approved was this really big liquefied natural gas plant in Prince Rupert on the west coast of British Columbia that's the plant that will produce that 5 million tons of greenhouse gases. But in order to get the natural gas there, you have to get it out of the ground in northeastern British Columbia and then pipeline it across to the coast. Getting it out of the ground also causes a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, pollutes the water, and also disrupts a lot of habitat that is dependent on for people for hunting and for animals like the woodland caribou. Depending on which part of the project you're talking about, there's different kinds of environmental impacts. The most attention has been paid to two things, really. One is the greenhouse gas emissions, and the other is a risk to a salmon estuary that's right off where the project's going to be located in Prince Rupert. You asked about how it relates to our climate targets. For me, this is really a big step backwards in terms of putting ourselves in a position to reach the Paris climate commitments that uh, Harper and now Trudeau have made to reduce our emissions by 30% by the year 2030.
0: How does it compare to other projects that we've seen? So, you know, you hear 5 million tons and it sounds like a whole heck of a lot, but is it in terms of other similar projects?
2: It is projected to be among the handful of largest point sources in Canada. Uh, so it's a very, very large project, equivalent to a big refinery or oil sands processing facility or coal plant. Another indication of how how big it is, if you add the LNG plant to the increased natural gas production, it's gonna be about 10 million tons. You can think about that in terms of two million new cars on the road, or you could also think about it in terms of what British Columbia needs to do to meet its own climate targets. It's supposed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 80 percent by the year 2050. If the Petronas project is operating in the year 2050, it will use all of BC's carbon budget.
0: There are 190 conditions on this project. Could you give us a sense of what some of those conditions are and if they will in fact, help mitigate some of the impacts that we've discussed?
2: Yeah, so uh, some of them involve how to protect that salmon estuary I talked about. So Petronas has pledged to build a bridge over the most sensitive areas as opposed to on top of it. They're hoping that that can make a difference. In terms of the concerns over First Nations buy-in, one of the relatively innovative things that the project would do is the conditions would require monitoring committees to be set up to look at the different aspects of the project and First Nations from the local area would serve on that monitoring committee. A third important condition is what they're referring to as a hard cap on emissions. The government is requiring Petronas, if they go forward with the project, to produce 20% less emissions than Petronas was planning to. And so that is at least some tighter restrictions coming from the project conditions.
0: There are a lot of people who are in the never uh, pipeline camp, and then there are those who are in the always pipeline camp. Are, are there certain projects that, that, that you see that the government has on the books um, that would be better than this one?
2: There's different concerns at stake here. For the people who look at what we need to do to address climate change, uh, they don't tend to think that any really big new fossil fuel infrastructure makes sense. And if you take the climate science seriously, there's a very strong logic to that. We can address climate change and still be using fossil fuels for half of the remaining century. And we may need new sources of fossil fuels. So it's hard to say no new sources of fossil fuels are acceptable. But uh, we do need to change things really dramatically. So I I would look, rather than spending the billions and billions of dollars on a new LNG plant or a new pipeline, I'd be finding ways to spend billions and billions of dollars on new solar facilities, on new wind facilities, and on new electricity transmission infrastructure so we can better connect things across Canada. To, To give a good example, BC has a lot of hydropower as does Quebec, that they could be exporting to other provinces, but all of our transmission lines essentially go north-south and not east-west. We should shift it So B.C. can help Alberta get off coal and Quebec can help Saskatchewan get off coal. I just think that we need to, rather than framing this as some kind of economic apocalypse for Alberta and other resource dependent areas, I think we need to frame it as an opportunity for uh, Canada to renew itself and grow in a different direction. Because there's a lot of economic opportunity in all of the infrastructure that needs to be built to, to grow that clean energy economy.
1: All of that is really good to know and definitely news to me, but I really want to hear from the Indigenous people you spoke to.
0: Yeah, so the first up is Grand Chief Stuart Phillip. He's president of the Union of B.C. Indian Chiefs, and he is not in favor of the project.
3: In many ways, we consider this to be an absolutely brain-dead notion of constructing a massive LNG facility on Lilloo Island, which, without question, represents the cradle of the Skeena River wild salmon fishery. And the establishment and construction of the proposed massive LNG facility on Lilu Island and the uh, infrastructure attached in the Flora Bank area would decimate the Skeena River salmon fishery uh, within um, a matter of years. Uh, the Skeena River. Salmon fishery is the second strongest salmon run and sockeye salmon fishery in the province of British Columbia. So there has been enormous, deeply entrenched opposition to this proposal ever since um, it was first announced uh, several years ago.
0: How would this project affect your community and the land involved?
3: Well, again, uh, the entire economy in the Pacific Northwest revolves around the uh, Skeena River salmon fishery, as well as the uh, related tourism industry. Quite frankly, the only reason people go to Prince Rupert is to enjoy the pristine beauty of the area and to be able to go out and enjoy the you know, the abundance that is provided by the, the wild salmon fishery and uh, the marine ecosystem. And they're certainly not going to go to Prince Rupert to stare at some massive boondoggle of an LNG facility that has completely wiped out that wild salmon fishery.
0: Is there any scenario in which you'd be okay with the project if, you know, there were certain conditions attached or if it met the right targets?
3: Well, needless to say, those conversations were brought forward by the uh, the First Nations people on countless occasions, by environmental groups, and in every instance, uh, those proposals, those suggestions, those recommendations were dismissed out of hand. Um, the uh, provincial government and Patronus were very high-handed and arrogant, and basically said we're going to ram this project through and it's going to be where we say it's going to be and, and you know, butt out. But the issue of consultation, um, I just want to speak a bit about that. First of all, it's a rabbit hole. The law has evolved to a point where we're no longer forced to rely on the nature and intent and scope of consultation. Uh, we have elevated the bar, so to speak, to consent-based decision-making. Now, even in the event that there was adequate consultation, which clearly there was not, there's still the issue of consent.
0: Do you think this project will negatively affect the relationship between Trudeau and Indigenous peoples? And no doubt about that.
3: It already has. As you're probably aware, um, Trudeau government, in a very sneaky, underhanded way, approved the permits for the controversial Site C Dam project on the Peace River in the the northeast part of British Columbia, and they did it late in the afternoon on a Friday before the long weekend. And um, there was a real sense of betrayal on the Treaty 8 First Nations and the the enormous uh, coalition that it is opposing that project, that it has certainly uh, contradicted and flew in the face of all of the promises that Mr. Trudeau made during the last federal election campaign. And then to follow up with this uh, particular approval of this project, and, you know, I'm, I'm... Getting a muffler replaced on my aging vehicle, and I picked up the local paper here I'm in Penticton, and there's a picture of the Minister of Environment and she's all tied up in these contortions representing a pretzel and the caption underneath talks about how they're they were just unable to explain why they would approve a project that would completely eclipse their targets that they so eloquently spoke about during the Paris Climate Agreement. Some environmental groups have called it a carbon bomb. So it'll completely negate British Columbia's greenhouse gas emission commitments as well as the federal government. It'll be the largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the entire country. So there's, uh, across the board, not only with Indigenous peoples, but general population is beginning to believe we were taken for a ride uh, during the last federal election. Of course, um, in all likelihood, we're looking at a hat trick here, a hat trick of deceit. You know, there appears to have been backroom dealing between Premier Clark, Premier Notley and Prime Minister Trudeau on trading off the approval for the um, Pacific Northwest LNG facility, the uh, Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline proposal and British Columbia agreeing to sign on to the carbon tax proposal being promoted by the Government of Canada.
1: So, Supriya, what does the other side of that coin look like?
0: Well, I spoke to Karen Ogin-Taves, who is with the First Nations LNG Alliance, who support the project. She's the former chief of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation.
4: In some ways, there may be some potential for jobs and contracts for everyone, including the First Nations, for this Petronas
0: line. Could you just expand on that a little bit, like what what exactly that, that would mean for the folks on the ground there?
4: Well, I think that for the First Nations that have set up their own economic development organizations, a lot of them for the different projects have had to set up joint ventures. So, for example, camps and catering, some of those contracts could be very beneficial and fruitful for the First Nations that, you know, not only do we have training and then jobs for those people have gotten trained and contracts that would... Benefit the nation in the long run. And in our community, what we've done just so that people are, aren't just saying, well, they're making money, well, what are they doing with that money? You know, we had a four pillar system where, you know, education and training, you know, we get very limited dollars from ANSI. So that would be a top up to make sure that we're supporting our people with education and training dollars so that they can get better jobs the language and culture, I think that was really critical. Like, We don't get funding for it and I think it's really important for us to have those sorts of programs within our community so that we're building up the culture and the language so that, that people know who we are. The other piece I think is really important was the health and wellness, especially in relation to the history of our people. You know we talk about residential schools we talk about 60 schools and you know a lot of our people are riddled in addictions and so the health and welfare programs would sort of assist with our our people in in getting uh whether it be treatment or counseling or whatever programs will assist our people to to get on their feet and the fourth one was housing because again we don't get very much money for housing. And so we have poor housing conditions in the community. And so that's where the money would have went and making sure that it's benefiting the community in the areas where, you know, uh, where it's needed. And I think that's really important.
0: A lot of the critics that oppose the pipeline have, in fact, brought up the wild salmon habitat. So, in in your mind, do you think the the protections are are sufficient?
4: That was really from the different articles that I've read. They've talked about the flora banks, the different uh, concerns. But more for the inland people, I think that um, you know one comment was made that there was a lack of consultation with their community because uh, you know the fish comes from the mouth of the Skina. And so that's where the rest of the inland nations you know, receive their fish. So I think that's an issue that needs to be fleshed out very well with the rest of the First Nations that are on the Skina River.
0: Do you feel it was hard for yourself or for others to come out in support of the LNG pipeline because there has been so much opposition to it?
4: Well, when we signed the agreements when I was the chief, I think that, you know, we did our due diligence, you know, we did everything that we possibly could host community member meetings, uh, have government and industry come to the community and provide as much information, put it in newsletters. We were diligent in having monthly community member meetings where they can come and listen if they have questions, if they have concerns. And when it came down to the actual signing we said we had people that were living out of the community that didn't care to read the newsletters or didn't care to ask questions said we didn't inform them and i thought well you know what we did our best and whether you engaged or not or whether you read the information you know we did our due diligence and we still had people coming out saying they weren't informed or they weren't consulted and You know, a lot of the people that were living out of the community said, or what about our Yinta? That's our land and our language. And what about our berry picking sites? Like, my question is, is how often have you come home from the cities or wherever you're living to do your traditional berry picking and fruit harvesting? You know, it's one thing for people to complain about it, but how much have they utilized it? You know, I think for the majority of the people who have been informed, that that's, you know, who helped us make the decision. And it was always a community-driven process that we did.
0: What would be your pitch to people that are opposed to the LNG project?
4: I always tell people that one thing, one of the professors has told me in my schooling was to look at, you know, if you're opposed to something, then learn the other side. Learn what the other uh, Opponent or whatever you want to call it is doing, and, and what are they all about? And I think when you you take the time and are willing to learn what the other side is doing, then it brings greater understanding. At the end of the day, we're still First Nations. We're still, you know, people that need to learn to respect one another, even if we have differing views and opinions and beliefs. I think that's really critical because I. I see a lot of uh, bashing of, of one another, and it's just not who we are as First Nations. And I think it's important to try to create a peaceful environment and sit down and have discussions and create more of an understanding. I think that's really important.
0: Prime Minister Trudeau has made his relationship with Indigenous people a sort of hallmark of his administration. Do you think in any way going through with this decision would negatively affect that relationship?
4: You know, as far as I'm concerned, I would take his climate change announcements and see how it lines up with this project. And if he's failing it, then I think, you know, it's something worthwhile that people that are opposed can bring up. And, you know, it's worthwhile to look at and to see if he's still sort of in line with with what he said. I think overall, just from my perspective when I was the chief of the nation, was that. We've never had a prime minister that's really made some effort in, in relation to building a strong relationship with the First Nations. I think we've never had that. And so I think you know people are saying, well, let's just wait and let's just see how this plays out. We don't completely trust him. But I think the point that he's made a lot of his, his uh, work centric around First Nations, I think that's really important. I, I think if you were to look at the long list of Prime Ministers that we've had, how many of them had said they wanted to work with us in terms of climate change and you know looking at our cultural way of life and acknowledging that, because I think those are really important. And When he made this decision, I'm sure he had that in the back of his mind. That's what I think, and I think that's something that The First Nations, not only in B.C., but in Canada, should really have a look at that and see if what he's saying and what he's doing is lining up.
0: That's our show for this week. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook
1: by typing in Canada Land Commons into that search bar. Our producer is Kevin Sexton and our music is by Nathan Burley. Our website is canadalandshow.com. If you want to reach us, email vicky at canadalandshow.com, or you can reach Supriya at sapria at canadalandshow.com. The Imposter is out tomorrow, Shortcuts is out Thursday, and we're back next week. If you like the show, and we know that you do, please support us. Go to patreon.com slash canadaland. So when we recorded those interviews on Fridays, there was a possibility that the company Petronas might dump their shares in the project. But since then, they have said that they are not considering selling their stake in the LNG project.
0: The cosmic battle continues.
2: That's douglas.ca slash Canadaland to claim this offer.